Welcome to the 10x Managers Podcast, where we interview different managers and leaders each week to share their experiences, learnings and insights so that you can challenge and support your own professional development. If you're not already a member of the 10x Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you will be able to access all our archived content, including video interviews, written learning summaries and resources that help you action and implement all the ideas shared in our interviews. You can also join the community discussion and collaborate with other 10x managers. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Neil. Really excited to be talking to you. Uh, do you want to kick us off by introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, great. Morning, Josh. Um, my name is Neil Ashworth. I am, um, let's say, an aging retailer. So uh, I started out uh, back in the uh, the mid 1980s in in the world of retail. I suppose more latterly um, worked at the forefront of the e-commerce uh, evolution and revolution. You might you might call it that. So working for a couple of uh, of parcel delivery businesses. Um, <clears throat> um, subsequently to that, I uh, I helped to set up and run the uh, UK testing program for a year, working for the government uh, after they asked me to to help out with PPE initially, but then also with testing. I spent uh, um, I signed up for three months and did a year um, in the heart of the testing program, which was. Uh, was fascinating in a number of different ways. Uh, and now I'm a portfolio director, so I have five non-executive roles in a range of different businesses. I suppose the, the thing that holds them all together would probably be their, their technology leanings. So so uh, still very busy and uh, I'm, I'm pleased to be so. Uh, no intentions to retire uh, in spite of what my wife would uh, would encourage me uh, to do. But, you know, there we go. Uh, I guess you are what you are. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Neil. Um, so let's get straight into uh, the topics of management and leadership then. So let's start with what you see as the role of a manager. Um, management really, for me, is, is about the way in which you get things done through resources, um, you know, whether they're human resources or, or the assets and the equipment that you have within an organisation. And, you know, it, it's, it's about following through processes and, and ensuring that you you deliver against a, a series of real objectives. Uh, and in some ways, I see management to a large degree as being quite mechanical, um, as, a, as very much a process. Leadership is a very different thing. You know, it, it's a, for me, it's about the way in which you take police, uh, people to places that they wouldn't naturally go on their own. Uh, and I think that's the real the real sense and the real, I suppose, the, the quality that that you find in, in the in the greatest leaders that they will actually encourage people to do things that wouldn't naturally be uh, uh, be the way in which they go about things it really demands a number of of different things it, it really needs uh, insight it needs empathy with the people that you're working with it needs vision uh, in terms of where you're going and and you know whether you're on the uh, the right the right journey or not and it needs a, a, a large dose of commitment, you know, both personally and from the people that, that, that you're leading. So, you know, the, the concept of leadership implies an element of followership. And, mm -hmm. and the, the people that, that you're working with have got to believe, you know, that you have that, that insight and that vision and you are taking them on the right journey. And I think it's interesting that in the modern era, we're in a position where you can, I, I suppose, I'm going to say relatively easily. It's, it's not. It's not easy. But you can determine the, the the direction of travel. 
the difference now is that you're no longer going straight lines. You go in in haphazard zigzag sort of routes to the to the destination. And as a consequence, you've got to be prepared to vary and shape the way in which you lead through, you know, what is essentially staccato movements these days. It, it's a very different way uh, of leading um, organizations and, and individuals that, that I certainly saw in the early parts of my career. And a lot of that is because of the pace of change of technology and the, the change, the continually changing shape of the world around us, you know, which has been accelerated again by technology. So, you know, the advent of, uh, of modern tech has made the leadership challenge in some ways more interesting, but in other ways more challenging because you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily able to, to map out the routes that you want mm -hmm. to follow as easily or as as clearly as as you would have done in the past. And so. You've got to be fairly adaptable and uh, uh, you know be prepared to uh, you know to, to reshape as as you go um, far more than you, you used to, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, and I think the distinction that you made between management and leadership makes a lot lot of sense as well. How do you see the relationship between the two of them having played out throughout your career? Where have you lent towards management? Where have you lent towards leadership? And how how do they blend together? Well, at the end of the day, you know, you're always doing. You're always doing both, you know, it's just to greater or lesser degrees. You know, it's, mm -hmm. in, in some ways you could see it as a continuum with management mm -hmm. at one end of the line and leadership at the other. And you're always flexing along that line to a greater or lesser degree. So there are times when, you know, certainly working with, with smaller uh, organisations at the moment, you, you're very much, you know, you, you have to step in to manage to a degree. So it's about rolling your sleeves up, it's getting involved, it's ensuring that you deliver the things that need to be delivered in the short term. You know, mm -hmm. and, and as a consequence of that, you know, you can be dipping out of, of a leadership role. You know, with larger organizations, it tends to be a little bit uh, be better defined. But, you know, at the end of the day, as soon as you take up a first managerial role, there's a leadership obligation within that. You know, there are a number of people who rely on you, you know, to ensure that they're delivering the right things on a day by day basis. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is that, you know, a leader is not there to make all of the decisions. A leader is there to actually ensure that the right decisions are being made. And, and the best way of doing it is through that element of empathy and, and that engagement with the people around you to ensure that they can see exactly what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And therefore, you know, the, the you get into the world of two plus two equals five. You start to get into, you know, organizations coming together and working together in a way that actually propels you further along the uh, the, the journey to the vision that you, you've, you've set and you've established. So, you know, it, it's a continuum. It's always flexing along that line. But, um, you know, you, you never give up one and, and take on the other. It's not it's not that you, you know, you get to a certain point in, in your career and you all of a sudden you're a leader. You're no longer a manager. You know, you're always yeah. both. You're always both. But okay. it's, it's just questions of degree and the circumstances and the environment that you find yourself operating in. Makes a lot of sense. No, thank you for sharing that. OK, so let's pivot into um, maybe your own managerial, your own leadership superpowers throughout your career. So. Looking back, what, what do you pride yourself in what you're good at? Uh, and let's talk a bit about how um, how you went about that. I think it's really interesting when you talk about superpowers. You know, I would always say that I don't really have any. Um, and you know, I suppose like like a lot of people, there's always an element of, 
of um, how how did I end up doing what I'm what I'm doing, and you know, am I worthy? So there's there's always an element of that imposter syndrome that sits within everybody's mind to a greater or less degree. But I think the things that have served me well over the years um, are really an element of humility and authenticity. You know, um, I've always been very accessible and I suppose approachable in 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 one sense, um, which which actually counts for an awful lot particularly in trying in difficult circumstances that you know if you can empathize with the people around you and you know there's an, an element of you know feeling that you're in this together I think that that really helps uh, a lot um I think the second thing is I've had an uncanny knack of building great teams over the years um mm-hmm. you know I, I I suppose in some ways I've probably talked about diversity in organizations and in in leadership teams over the course of 25 or 30 years so long before it, it, it became a, a bit of a um you know, a business buzzword should we say and, and diversity for me isn't necessarily about you know ethnicity and creed and uh, the male female split it's about actually how do you ensure that you've got a diverse group of people yeah, contributing to the same overall vision. Uh, and, and really it's about having people who have you know, different operational styles, different leadership styles, different managerial styles, and bringing them together to, in some ways, initially to understand the points of difference and how difference can re- can resonate and can actually improve the, the overall outcomes. Because, you know, fundamentally, I, I suppose, having worked in the world of retail for, for a, a, long, a long number of years, you do find that a lot of senior people in retail follow a quite a similar sort of um, persona, should we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always found that that was quite restrictive in one sense because, <clears throat> you know, you could argue that God made man in his own likeness. You know, a leader shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. A leader should actually um, you know, develop a team that actually has a number of different um personas within there which at times will conflict and other times will challenge each other but if you if you can manage that 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 leadership tension within the team then my view is you get much stronger outcomes uh, and as a consequence of that you know I, I think I've actually built stronger teams as a result of it you know I'm, I think I'm <clears throat> comparatively self-aware in that I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at um, mm-hmm. and, where, and where you're not good at something you know a, a lot of you know, sort of leadership development or managerial development would say, yeah, well, you've got to work on that. Yeah, I completely disagree with that. I, I, in my view is, I am what I am, and I've been this way for decades now. You're not necessarily going to change me. But what I can do is if I recognise what I'm not great at, I can actually bring people into my team who are great at the things that I'm weaker at. So let's try and improve the whole rather than, you know, hold people back. Let's liberate people's true capability. And really, you know, what I've, I suppose I focus on is strengthening the strengths yeah and managing the, the weaknesses I guess and and as a consequence of that I've always found that you get a much more rounded and, and, and a much more powerful team as a consequence of it so building great teams is, is probably the second and the third thing that I probably talk about is is an element of vision and foresight you know I've, I've always been really interested in trends and patterns and one of the things that <clears throat> You know, insight organizations within large uh, large businesses. You know, they're really hindsight business uh, organizations. They tell you about, they tell you in 
almost infinite detail what's already happened. They don't actually map that history and those patterns onto, onto you know, differing perspectives of what could happen in the future. And I think that's what really interests me is, is how you take insight and add it to future trends. So actually give mm. you foresight. <clears throat> because foresight, you can do something with. You can't actually do anything about what's already happened. You can only yeah. do, do something about what's going to happen. And as a consequence, that element of foresight and understanding what might happen can allow you to lead in the in the most effective way. So it actually allows you to start to map out the journey that you're going to go on, yeah, to a, to the degree that you can. You know, as I said before, you never know the exact route that you're going to take, but at least you've got the ability to say this is where we are today. You can be absolutely clear about that. This is where we want to be tomorrow, and you are less clear about that. But there is a series of concepts in there that you, you generally want to. Uh, want to want to follow and certain things that you want to achieve so you know actually having that that foresight that vision i think is uh, is something that you know, I, I guess i've worked particularly hard on over the years i read widely you know you know one of the things that i always encourage people to do is don't look at your own industry look at others mm-hmm. most of the uh, the great ideas come from somewhere else because of great ideas within your own industry or your own sector are generally coming from within your own sector and you know they're not yours so go and go and scratch the surface of others go and find mm-hmm. something really interesting because i think that's where great innovation comes from and innovation and invention are different things invention is creating something from scratch innovation is taking a concept yeah, and applying it to your own circumstances and i think that <clears throat> that desire for innovation and exploring boundaries i think is a really interesting challenge that that we all should take on. You know, whether, whether we see ourselves as managers or leaders, something we should all be really interested in, in saying how can we look around ourselves <clears throat> and interpret what's happening <clears throat> for the better good of the organisation and the individuals within it. So um, I guess that foresight would probably be the, uh, the, the other element that I guess I reflect on after decades of doing this stuff. That's great. And there's loads of things we could dive into there. But let's start with building teams. I think it's something that will particularly resonate with what a lot of people listening will, will be doing as well. And be looking to build those diverse high performance teams. So it's going to sound like a, a slightly strange question to start with. But obviously, you mentioned diversity in the team. Um, how do you know when you've got diversity in a team? Um, <clears throat> it, it's when you know that the individuals in your team disagree on things, but they can disagree constructively. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know that you're actually starting to generate something really interesting and powerful, that people understand each other's perspectives. And you know, it, it, takes, it takes individuals with a high degree of self-awareness. So you know, when I'm building a team, I always go through a lot of, I suppose, you know, let's call it so psychological profiling, you know, whether it's the, the four colours models or whether it's Myers-Briggs or, or those kind of things, you know, so that people understand what are their natural tendencies and their preferences and the way in which they will certainly behave and more importantly, the way in which they'll behave under pressure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and, you know, what I'm really keen on is getting people to talk about it to each other. You mm-hmm. know, I remember in in one organization where I was building a brand new team, there was one guy who joined the team who absolutely worked to live. 
Yeah, so it was all about his leisure time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was another guy who lived to work, and it was all about his con- contribution to the organisation. <clears throat> and and they started out really, really struggling with why would you live your life like that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just got them to talk and talk and within the group and say, just talk to each other about why it is you like that and what, what has made you like that. <clears throat> and these two individuals became really, really, really powerful advocates of each other. Because they understood that they disagreed furiously with each other's perspective, but they understood it. And as a consequence, you know what the, what you find under those kind of circumstances, where you've got people with polar opposite perspectives, <clears throat> is that they help each other to think about things and look at situations in a way that they naturally wouldn't. And and that for me comes back to that leadership sort of characteristic that I described before before around taking people to places they wouldn't naturally go to themselves it's about saying we're both looking at the same challenge the same situation but we're looking at it from different perspectives so people who've got the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes can be hugely valuable because they recognize that they're not going to have all of the right answers but they're going to have a perspective and so so long as they're open and uh, are prepared to engage in a constructive discussion then you've got a powerful situation you add to that elements of cultural diversity and right. sexual diversity, you know, you actually get a really, you know, active melting pot of, of, of thought, ideas, and most importantly, energy. And when you get that, and when people really start to, to work together in that way, you can achieve incredible things. You know, in, in one situation, you know, you actually think about, you know, if somebody asked me to do something impossible, what, what would I say? Under those circumstances, you look at those things and you say, well, actually, that's no longer impossible. Mm. You know, everything becomes possible one way or another. And you know, it's quite a powerful situation to get yourself into. And you, you only find those sweet spots a limited number of times in your career, but you know when, when you've got them and you know that the people around you, you know, would really <laughs> will really perform you know, on a continual basis and re- will really contribute. And you, know, you see it in sports teams when you get that, that I guess, that, that magic dust that really gels them together as, a, you know, as people as a great team. Mm-hmm. You know that you've got that kind of situation coming through. And there's lots of parallels between sport and business life anyway. But, um, but you know, it, it, it's, it, it really is, I suppose, invigorating when you get that kind of situation. No, absolutely. And then how would you, how do you actually go about recruiting for that type of person? Obviously, it's, it's a person that's very self-aware. It's a person that's willing to debate. It's a person that's also willing to hear and also listen to others as well. What are you doing during a recruitment process to identify that, that sort of character? You've you got to recruit for two things in, in, any, in any situation. You've got to recruit, recruit for skill, but you've also got to recruit for will. Uh-huh. And... <clears throat> You know, when I was chief exec at Collect Plus, I, I, we had a great team there, a, a great senior team. But what we did is that is that anybody who wanted to recruit into their team, yeah, could recommend somebody, but they couldn't recruit somebody. Uh-huh. So what we did is that, <clears throat> you, let's say, you know, the operations director was going to recruit a new member of the ops team. Well, he would actually go and find somebody who had the right skills and he'd say, mm-hmm. you know, this is the person that I'm recommending. I want to bring this individual into the organisation. What we then did is we took another director yeah, and a member of the team, and it could have been a very junior member of the team or 
quite a senior member of the team, didn't really matter. And what you did is you actually uh, you actually then interviewed them against the, the value set of the organisation. So, and it was really interesting because, you know, almost universally, what I found when I sat down with the individual when they joined the business, and I sat down with them at the end of the first week and said, you know, how's it, how, how's it been? You know, what's, what's your first week in the organisation felt like? And <clears throat> what are your concerns? And what are your hopes? And all, the, all of that, those good things. <coughs> almost in, invariably, they said, you know, I felt at home from the first minute. And the reason for that is that they were were recruited to fit. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if you're actually if you actually have a very strong set of values within the organization that are generally owned and held strongly by the people within the organization, the organization will protect those. And what they'll do is that they may shape them, they may adjust them slightly for, for individuals, but what you'll find is that people will will actually, you know, will mold themselves. Yeah, to fit that organization. So you actually enhance the skill in the organization, but you're reinforcing the culture and the values of the organization as well. And, you know, I always liken this to a, a shoal of fish. You know, if you actually watch a, 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 you know, a, a load of fish swimming in the sea, they, you know, they'll swim in the same direction. And what happens is because of fluid dynamics, they move faster as a consequence. If you look at, you know, the uh, Olympic swimming finals, you know, the reason why the fastest swimmers swim in lanes four and five is because of the, the fluid dynamics that actually pushes them along a little bit further. So the guys in lanes one and lanes eight are actually pushing the guy in four to the gold medal, which is um, you know, an interesting analogy, but you know, it, it works for me. And you, know, you get people in an organization, if you're all swimming, and swimming in the same direction, you, know, you actually go that a little bit faster. You know, the, yeah. the, the reality of the situation is every now and again, you get a fish that swims in the opposite direction and you know there's a consequence to those kind of things and you know that's part and parcel of recognizing that sometimes you can make the wrong call in terms of a recruitment or an appointment and there are ways in which you've got to deal with that you either you know you either you know repoint the fish in the in the right direction uh, you actually retrain them to swim faster you know, or you actually say actually this isn't the shoal for you let's help you to find another another shoal where you'd actually be uh, um, be, be better you know you go and swim with the guppies rather than the sharks or whatever it might be I don't know that's probably a lousy analogy <laughs> no no I, I like it and the answer to this uh, Neil is obviously going to be it depends but throughout your time hiring recruiting and building teams are there any particular values or traits that you recognize within your best employees that you really look for um it's really interesting I, I guess I guess the, the one thing that I would hold above all other values is honesty. Mm -hmm. I think if if people work in the world of mistruths, lies, whatever you want to call them, then you haven't got a a foundation on which to build um, a a team. You haven't got the the foundation on which to build a business. So Mm -hmm. people have got to be honest with each other on a a continuous basis. And, And if that doesn't exist, then... You know, you haven't got a you haven't got a platform on, on which to build. It, it can mean that you you have some fairly frank and difficult discussions from time to time. Mm-hmm. But you know, what you've always got to remember is that you're looking at the business, you're not looking at the person. So mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I, I frequently remind people is that you know we're looking at at it, not at you. So this you know it should never be about criticizing people and criticizing. Mm-hmm. You know, them as individuals it might be about criticizing 
what has happened or the way in which something's been done, but it's never about the individual. So, you know, so long as you can always, I suppose, reflect back on that, you can have those difficult, difficult discussions, those difficult conversations where you, know, you might have a, you know, a, a, a different perspective on things, but, you know, absolute honesty, you know, is, for me is always the foundation of, uh, uh, of, of a good organisation. Uh, that, that's great. No, thank you for that. Okay, let's take it to your third point, actually, when you when we're talking about kind of things you're good at, the vision, the foresight. Um, tell me a little bit more about how this has been useful in your career, where, where it's played out. Um, I suppose in some ways, you know, I've always, particularly, you know, working in retail, um, you know, one of the great... In, in my view, one of the great leaders of our time within the UK, Sir Terry Lee, he said to me many years ago, if it's right for the customer, it's probably right. Uh, and, you know, that's one of those throwaway comments that he made, you know, almost in passing one day. And I thought, actually, that is so profound. It, it's really, really helpful. <clears throat> and I guess <clears throat> that's one of the things that, that has always helped. Um, and so... And so I've always been really interested in the way in which you know, customers are evolving, the way in which the customer is going to uh, live their life in 5, 10, 15 years, um, and looking forward into the way in which you know, we as, as homo sapiens are going to evolve. I guess that's the interesting thing for me, and the consequence of that is, is, is looking at the way in which that impacts upon you know, particularly a retail environment. So, <coughs> excuse me, if I, if I go back to my time at Tesco, you know, we built Tesco Direct from, from scratch, really on the basis of the way in which the customer was going to live their life. Um, you know, we were that focused upon, you know, what products are we going to sell and at what price are we going to sell them on? They were consequences of the way in which we built a consumer-facing business. And, you you know, this is back in 2005, 2006, before people really started to talk about customer centricity in the way that they do at the moment. And really, you know, as a, the consequence of that is that we looked at the organisation from end to end and said, you know, how do we help people to live better lives? Um, and it's one of the things that, that Tesco had in, in spades in some ways was this ability to, to look at the customer, you know, in very, very low levels of detail. Um, you know, the Every Little Helps campaign was an internal campaign before it became the, the external tagline of the organisation. And it was about how can, how can this organisation do little things better for the customer? And it was, it was based upon <clears throat> the principle of marginal gains. And it was about what can this organisation do that's different from the opposition, different from the competition out there, but actually works to the, the benefit of the customer. And you, you look at what Tesco did in those times. And so they were the first organisation to introduce customer toilets and they were first organisation to put kids seats in trolleys. They were the first people to introduce, you know, trolleys for the disabled and all those kind of things. And when you look at it, all those little things added up to, to quite a big difference. And mm. when we built Tesco Direct and as we evolved Tesco.com, the grocery business around the world, it was about how do we actually shape a better experience for the consumer by doing lots and lots and lots of little things better. And, and I think, I think you know, taking a perspective on the way in which we're going to live our lives in the future is, is an interesting way of doing it because, frankly, everybody can relate to it. And it's not, you know, 
management consulting mumbo jumbo. Um, you know, what it is, is, is actually saying, what's the life that I'd like to lead? You know, how will I lead my life? And is that, is that view that I have about the way in which I want to evolve similar to other people, or am I a little bit different? Uh, and, and starting to look at it from that perspective, because everybody can buy into those kind of things. And I think that's the really interesting thing. So, and, and it's something that everybody can do. Everybody can say, you know, how do I want to live my life and how is life going to be better in the future? And therefore, how, how do I shape my business to, uh, you know, to, to provide those kind of capabilities for customers? Yeah, I agree. So I, th I think the real powerful bit about that is all of those big groundbreaking changes that, that, that you created through Tesco there all started from that simple question of what's right for the customers in the future, what's going to make a better world for us to live in in the future. Yeah. And I think everybody can apply that no matter where they are. So I, I think that's really powerful. Well, I, but everybody will sit there and say, yeah, I, I'd like a piece of that. That sounds like a better life for me. So, you know, you know why don't I deliver it? And I'm, I'll get some of the benefit as well. Great. You know, yeah, um, yeah, we're all we're all altru altruistic individual you know, beings at the end of the day. Yeah. And the other thing I like about that as well is that you said that, that that kind of campaign started internally because again, that's something that every manager and leader can also do is they can also look at what they can do for the future of their employees that are working directly for them. That's something they can directly impact. What sort of things can they change to enable that future vision to, to move in a way that helps those people as well? So I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. You know, and everybody in the organisation had their own little piece of, of of the strategic pie. You know, everybody in in the Tesco organisation could actually see their objectives contributing yeah. to the to the, the the bigger picture in the organisation. And and to build that kind of alignment takes a lot of work. It takes an yeah. awful lot of work. But you know, when you can see it working, you think actually this is pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's why Tesco went from being the third biggest retailer in the UK to the third biggest in the world in a decade. You know, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff, to be honest. No, definitely. That, that, those alignment of objectives, obviously, that's, as you said, it, it's a difficult thing to do. It, it, it's a complex, particularly in an organisation of that size as well. Is there anything in particular that you use or you have used throughout your career to help with that sort of alignment of goals and making sure everybody's working towards that same objective? Uh, no. Nothing that is um, is magical in any sense. You know, it, it's just about um, it's just about communication. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I was told very early in my career is, if you believe that you've communicated enough, multiply it by ten, and you're probably getting close. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, that's an absolute truism that you know, to take people to places that they wouldn't naturally go on their own, they need continual reinforcement and reassurance. And, you know, the messages that come from the leadership team in an organisation have to be consistent, repeatable, you know, um, accessible. You know, they've got to be in a, <coughs> in a shape and in a, in a tone that everybody can understand. And, you know, you, you get classic stories like, you know, Kennedy visiting Cape Canaveral in the 60s and talking to the guy who was sweeping the floor. And he said, well, what are you doing? What's your job? He said, I'm putting a man on the moon. You know, he... <laughs> whether that's true or whether it's fiction, it doesn't matter. It tells a story that that was an organisation that had absolute alignments. And, and it's that kind of thing that we all strive for. Um, and therefore, it's about being consistent in your messaging. It's about being true to the vision and being, you know, I suppose, reassuringly you know, steadfast. You know, one managing director that I worked for in Woolworths many years ago, uh, who was a great guy, he, <clears throat> I remember 
you know, him sitting down with the operating board and we'd had a fairly rough time. And, um, you know, one of the team said to him, so what do we do now? Do we change direction? He said, no, no, it's been a pretty rough year, but, you know, the direction holds, we carry on. Yeah, and, and that sort of reassurance, I think, is really important. And so it's like, yeah. you know, again, it was about con, con, uh, yeah, constant or constancy of message. Which yeah. is the word of constancy. But yeah, um, it, it, it's about being true to what you um, have seen into the seen in the future, about being clear about the way in which you hold true to those those principles and the way in which you uh, you strive to see something through. And, you know, it, it's moments like that when, you know, adversity strikes and you can be knocked off course that, you know, somebody at the helm who says, no, 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 you know, we're still going in the same direction, we're still doing the right thing, um, is really reassuring and it's hugely powerful. And, you know, it's it's those simple messages that that become really uh, important in, in, those, in those times that just hold the organisation together, I guess. Mm. No, that's great. I'm going to pivot the conversation slightly just because of time, Neil, but I wanted to move away from things that you've been really good at and have done really well and look at maybe a challenge that you found particularly difficult throughout your career. So is there anything that stands out? Um, there's probably a couple of things, I think. Um, the first one is, is, is about dealing with adversity. So quite early in my career, I was 26 years old, 27 years old, um, I was running my first um, uh, cost center. So a big distribution operation uh, within an organization and, and a member of the team was killed in a car crash one evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually um, really made me stop and think about um, what was really important in life. You know, um, I've got to be honest, our customers were, you know, didn't, un- didn't understand the impact, were intolerant of, of our performance over a period of time. But what it taught me really more than anything else is about the importance of treat- treating people fairly, honestly, um, and with compassion. Um, and, you know, knowing that, you know, through moments of adversity like that, the business will still be there in a few days time, but you've actually got to take time out and manage those kind of situations in the right way. Um, rather than actually say, you know, um, everybody back back to your benches and uh, let, let's crack on. You know, there's times when you've just got to take a pause. So I guess I guess that was probably one of my biggest challenges. It came fairly early on in my career and it shaped the, the leader that I guess I've become over, over time. Mm. I think the second one, <clears throat> the second one that I, I just mentioned <clears throat> is, is being increasing. And I guess it's one of those things that you get as you get older is being prepared to take on things that you've got absolutely no idea about. So, you know, I was asked by the government, by the National Health Service, to step in and build a testing programme for the UK. I'm no clinician. I know nothing whatsoever about, well, I didn't at the time, about, you know, um, virus diagnostics and how to build a testing programme, but you learn very quickly and, you know, in a time of crisis... What you find is that um, what you believe is an, uh, a, a lack of capability is actually shared by a lot of people around you. You know, 
you know, the, the UK went from a position where we had very little diagnostic capability, so the ability to test for viruses outside of hospitals. We certainly had nothing in the community. Um, and, you know, we looked around the world and said, well, Germany's probably the best. Um, and we said, well, that's the gold standard. So why don't we build something that's better than that? Um, and, you know, really, um, <clears throat> through the energy and commitment of some phenomenal people and you know, building a team of, of individuals, again, who had no experience and no capability in the main, uh, because it was all new, you actually looked at it and thought, actually, this is, you know, it actually is one of those defining moments in your career that you look back on and say, God, it was hell at the time. But it, in hindsight, you look at it and you say, actually, that was pretty good. The, the people were fantastic. The challenge was <clears throat> seemed insurmountable. But it was the creativity and the, you know, the, the resilience that was demonstrated by, by a group of people that really brought the thing through, um, you know, to the point where, you know, we probably have the testing capability in the UK that most countries look to um, with a degree of awe. Um, yeah. We have a situation where the UK has probably sequenced two thirds of the world's variants of concerns and identified them. And the thing that I really like about that story as well is obviously you started it with talking about jumping into something that you don't know anything about and not being afraid of it. And throughout that story, what, what's very obvious is it links back to what you said earlier on in the conversation about playing to your strengths, strengthening your own strengths and not worrying about the weaknesses. So you weren't worried that you knew nothing about building a, a clinical trial program, but you played to what you did know you were good at. And then you complemented that with other people that did know about those other things. And together you were able to build something special. That's true. And I think the other thing that you, you always, and you know, I, I only reflected on this after the event, is that somebody who somebody had decided to put their trust in you. Mm -hmm. There was somebody out there who believed that I could do it. Um, mm. Whilst, you know, I, I may have thought, well, I'm not so sure about this. Am I doing the right thing? There was somebody out there who said, actually, you can bring something to the party that we haven't got. Uh, mm. <clears throat> uh, and, and, you know, that's reassuring. Thank you for listening to the 10X Managers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date for when we interview different managers and leaders every week. Remember, if you're not already a member of the 10X Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you can join the community discussion, access all our archived content and resources that ultimately help you to take action and make change.